Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest talk. And this is a new talk that I've put together for a uh, meeting at the University of Pennsylvania, which will be in Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and uh, this is talking about the CT evaluation of GI bleeding. It's something we've spoken about in pieces and parts over the years, but it made me sit down and really give it a relook, look at a lot more of the literature, look at a lot more of the cases, and try to share it with you today. So some background data. Acute GI bleeding is a common medical emergency. Up to 2% of all medical admissions. Uh, up to 20 to 27 cases per 100,000 for lower GI bleeding. And a bit higher for upper GI bleeding. The mortality can be as high as 40% in patients with hemodynamic instability. Now the fact is most patients with acute GI bleeding, the bleeding will stop spontaneously but in about a quarter of the cases, the bleeding will continue or will recur. So it's really a challenging group of patients. Now when we talk about uh, bleeding, we talk about upper GI bleeding, which means it occurs proximal to the ligament of trites, clinical presentations, hematemesis, coffee ground vomiting, or melana, and those that occur distal to the ligament of trites. Again, presentations can be somewhat similar but are different. Melana, hemochesia, positive occult blood stool, and rectal bleeding. And these are the two big things. And when you look at those together and you look at the causes, upper GI bleeding is the things we used to do uh, upper GI series for in the old days, right? Gastrocodonal ulcers, varices, gastritis, duodenitis, unusual cases like Mallory Weiss tears, and malignancies. Lower GI bleeding are old barymenemis, diverticulosis, diverticulitis, angiodysplasia, or AV malformations colitis, malignancies, anorectal disease, and small bowel disease. Now, there are some agreements in the evaluation of these patients, and there are some disagreements, and there's some continuing change based on learning and experience. So the classic algorithm for upper GI bleeding is pretty much agreed to by most anybody. Any patient with suspected upper GI bleeding should undergo endoscopy first. Endoscopy works well, it facilitates the diagnosis and treatment in the vast majority of patients, very high sensitivity and typically a high specificity. Um, you occasionally may need NG to access the rate of bleeding and for gastric lavage. If no blood is in an aspirin and no hematemesis, upper GI source is going to be unlikely. CT is typically not the study you get in patients with suspected upper GI bleeding. Now that's not to say that we don't detect causes for upper GI bleeding in CT. Think esophageal cancer, think gastric cancer, is two is the easiest. But again, a patient who presents with what's felt to be upper GI bleeding, they're going to endoscopy, diagnosis, and treatment. And again, the most common etiologies, duodenal ulcer, gastric erosions or ulcerations, varices, Mallory-Weiss, esophagitis, duodenitis, and neoplasm. Now, in the recent ACR appropriateness criteria for non-variceal upper GI bleeding, uh, you could see that endoscopy is the study to do, but if endoscopy is done, uh, but there's really no source found, then you can see arteriography rates number one, nine's the best rating you can get, and then CTA will take part. And then if you had endoscopy confirms non-variceal bleeding without a clear source, then you could see CTA comes much higher to the top of the list, almost makes it the same as arteriography without any of the invasiveness. 
And then if you look at the uh, non-variceal GI bleeding with negative endoscopy, and you need to go further, you can see that CT and classic angio are eight, both very highly rated, but of course CT is easier and gives you a lot more information. And finally, post-surgical traumatic causes of non-variceal GI bleeding, when endoscopy is contraindicated, arteriography number one, minimally over CTA. So you can see that CT, particularly CTA, becomes very, very important. Now, as I mentioned, typically when you think of upper GI bleeding, you're talking about endoscopy. But here's an example of a patient with upper GI bleeding, abdominal distension. You look at the stomach, it's filled with fluid and high-density material. That's going to be blood. And then if you look really hard, you see that bright structure in the posterior aspect of the body of the stomach right there as the circle comes to it. And then we look at it a bit better in MIP, and MIP always shows, or almost always, shows the bleeds better, and there it is again. And if you wait from arterial phase, another 30 seconds, now you see the bleed, but now you see the jet. It's a very nice example, because I'm going to speak about this in a little bit when we look at the colon or small bowel, the importance of dual phase imaging. Sometimes the bleed is only shown on one phase. Sometimes it's best shown on one phase, though seen on both phases. And this is a good example, perhaps, where it's seen on both phases, but surely much more obvious when you look at the delayed phase. And it's only 30 seconds later, but it is later. And you can see this is a nice example also of showing you what happens when you look at the coronal and 3D views. When you look at the 3D views, you really get a better look. Sometimes the axial alone doesn't quite show you things. Now in this situation on the right, I'm showing you the volume rendering. MIP can sometimes be better or faster only because it shows the brightest things and as a projection technique. The volume rendering is gonna be as accurate, but sometimes, particularly if you don't have a lot of experience, the MIP indeed will be better. Now again, I showed you this case just to make the point that CT can be very good in upper GI bleeding. But the reality is this talk is going to be about lower GI bleeding. So let's get started there. So when you talk about lower GI bleeding, you could talk about physical exam, digital rectal exam, and proctoscopy if you're looking for anal rectal sources. But you know, at the end of the day, there are many sources, not just around the uh, anal region. And your main options would be colonoscopy, tagged RBC nuclear medicine scans, classic angio, video capsule evaluation, and CT angiography. Now capsule used to be or was felt to be the best study for looking for GI bleeding. Uh, really good results in the beginning that showed it to be 100% accurate or seemed to be 100% accurate. But the reality is it's probably at best 50 to 60% accurate. 50,000 images in eight hours. Clinicians can visualize the entire small bowel. Um, article in AJR, only 6%, 6.3% of 27 small bowel tumors seen on capsule endoscopy were seen on radiographic studies. Now those very, very old data. Now even the people who are best at doing capsule endoscopy would say you do CT first and then you go from there. Now, capsule endoscopy is especially useful when patients have GI bleeding, but again, it's not perfect. As I mentioned, it can miss bowel lesions due to improper bowel preparation, rapid transit time, the presence of blood, but also this issue with capsule retention or obstruction can occur. So you need to be very careful. You want to make sure the patient doesn't have a stricture 
or a mass that can obstruct. Remember, if, if a capsule is blocked, the only way to take it out is surgery. And so more and more people recommend doing CT just to make certain the capsule is not going to be obstructed. So if you look at this case, we looked at a patient who had a history of a Merkel cell tumor, and I read this as small bowel obstruction by a recurrent tumor. There's a large mass present, but for some reason, somebody gave the camera, and that's the artifact you get from a camera, and that camera is obstructed by this large mass seen on coronal and 3D imaging, and that capsule is going nowhere except being removed at surgery. And you can see there's the topogram, shows you the capsule, so again, the capsule can be very helpful in occult bleeds, but can be very problematic. So indeed, you need to be very, very careful. Now, colonoscopy, of course, is a classic study that's done looking for the source of GI bleeding in the colon and can be very helpful because, for example, if you have a diverticular bleed, you could potentially um, uh, cauterize the bleed. But when you look at the numbers, most of the colonoscopies for GI bleeds end up being negative or indeterminate. A good article by Nakatsu recently said that the CT is useful for determining the optimal timing of colonoscopy in cases of acute lower GI bleed. CT can be useful to depict the presence of active hemorrhage and provides useful information for subsequent colonoscopy, especially in patients with diverticular bleeding. And he goes on to say that the rate of detection of the bleeding source in colonoscopy was significantly higher when CT was positive than in those where CT wasn't, 68 versus 20%. So this article makes the point that before you do colonoscopy, do CT as well. CT shows a bleed, maybe colonoscopy can treat it. Just doing colonoscopy alone, you're going to have a lot of negative studies. Now, a study that had a lot of interest, and still has interest, are nuclear medicine tagged red blood cell studies. It has a high sensitivity for bleeding, and there's certain advantages. It's not invasive, it can detect arterial and venous bleeding, can image over a prolonged period of time, so intermittent bleeding perhaps can be detected. But the problems are, it cannot accurately localize the bleeding site. Poor spatial resolution and peristalsis cause this, and it cannot provide the cause of bleeding. And so in terms of how you phrase the words, is it accurate? The answer is yes, but is it that helpful? The answer is no. Article by Furstein recently, CTA and RBC scintigraphy can be used to identify active bleeds in 38% of cases, however the site of bleeding is localized with CTA in a significantly higher proportion of cases. He also looked at the average time to complete an RBC study, was over three hours after the order was placed, CT was done in less than half the time. In the CTA group, 71% were completed within two hours of the initial order, compared with under or about one-third with RBCs. Everyone, almost everyone, has CT 24-7. You can do a CT anytime, anywhere. For nuke studies, that's typically not going to be the case. Another article in JAMA surgery, Jacovides make the point that although nuclear scintigraphy and CTA had similar sensitivity and specificity, localization of hemorrhage by CTA was more precise and consistent with angiography. As a pre-angio test, CTA was better. It reduced the overall number of imaging studies required per patient, resulted in administration of more overall contrast without worsening renal function. So again, it's something you want to be doing 
and tag red cells just really don't really work that well. And surely in terms of patient management and diagnosis, you need to know where the bleeding is and you need to know why it's bleeding and CT answers both questions. Now again, we spoke about upper and lower GI bleeding, but the focus is the lower GI bleed. In terms of tag red blood cells, it potentially can do the upper bleeding as well, but as we showed, so could CTA. Now, when you're talking about the possibilities, and here's just a list of the lower GI bleeding sources, diverticular disease is up to two-thirds of cases. It is the big dog. Everything else is small, angiodysplasia, hemorrhoids, ischemia, other colitides, neoplasia, and the like are small numbers. Now, when we do a protocol, the protocol becomes so important. Oral contrast, we use water. 1,000 cc's you want to distend. IV contrast is critical, and we do multi-phase acquisition. And let me explain more detail about our protocol. So you, we all have choices. Oral contrast is the easiest. Some people say give nothing. I like oral. It distends the bowel. It hydrates the patient. There is no downside. It doesn't delay the study. Typically, we use about 100 cc's, depending on the patient, of Omni 350 or Visipeg 320, injecting 5 cc's a second. So that works out to be very nicely. When you look at the imaging, the question is, what phases do you get? Some people, and a lot of the articles, would say non-contrast and arterial. And the reason they did non-contrast is perhaps the patient had some structure or density in the bowel, and it can confuse you with a GI bleed. Well, our experience is that if something is a GI bleed, be it small bowel or large bowel, it always changes shape and size between the arterial and venous. And so I am not going to confuse with some foreign matter with a GI bleed. And what we found is, and the reason we like arterial and venous, and I'll show examples, is sometimes the bleed is best seen arterial and sometimes is best seen venous. And sometimes you don't see it arterial and sometimes it's gone by venous. But if you do arterial and venous, you have the best of both worlds. And again, we'll use thin section CT, 0.75 by 0.5. Um, when we talk about some of the articles in the literature, uh, this article was from Hopkins and Stanford talking about a pre-contrast study, but again, we no longer do that, and we sit with two phases. We don't do non-contrast, and we don't do delayed. Article by Kim made the point, uh, and in their article, there wasn't much difference between arterial and venous, but he recommended both be done. I think sometimes only in retrospect you see the arterial phase bleed, and sometimes in the venous it's gone, and you would have made it arterial only. But having them both really increases your accuracy in what often is a very difficult group of patients. If you look at this article by Kim, both observers detected the bleeding site in 81 and 84% of the arterial set. Same numbers, portal and combined was essentially the same. Now it's important to recognize those are study numbers. The reality is that patients uh, do best when they get both phases because the radiologist doesn't miss a subtle bleed. Once you see it, it's easy, but sometimes it's indeed very subtle. And I have mentioned that when we look at data, we need to look at all aspects of the data, from the axial images to the multiplanar to the 3D mapping. A few other points. Uh, Yakaguchi made the point that acute lower GI bleeding is, is a potentially 
dangerous situation because the patients can fall into shock. Colonoscopy, angiography, and scintigraphy have been widely used, but the question was what is best? And in their experience, helical CT for detection of an active lower GI bleeding was best. It's a short study to do, less invasive, invasive and less demanding. Enhanced should, CT should be the first step for diagnosing uh, lower GI bleeding. And another article, again, that same point, it's so critical to be doing that correctly. Article by Lang makes the point, uh, high attenuation material detected within bowel lumen at CTA that was not present on non-contrast is in our experience hemorrhage. Now, what they're looking at is not bleed, but let's say you see high density in the bowel. Is it real? Is it some foreign matter, something the patient drank, or is it bleeding? Well, one thing we find from arterial to venous phase is that if it's really a bleed, it's going to change density. So you want to look very carefully. Anytime you see something of high density in bowel, although it can be simply positive contrast, you want to make certain that you're not missing a bleed. And Lane goes on to say high attenuation material within the bowel lumen at CTA that was not present in non-contrast or the high density changes density across phases, then it's important to think about that as a bleed and care must be taken to distinguish luminal or intraluminal content, uh, contrast material, mucosal enhancement. So again, it can be tricky sometimes, so most of the time is not going to be much of an issue. And again, this article by Dobritz, looking at GI bleeding, how many acquisitions are necessary, talked about the sensitivity for the various processes, uh, again, they felt that arterial and portal venous acquisition was going to be ideal. And again, we go back to some of the articles that have been published, and there is some controversy over what's going to be the best protocol. But let's do this. I want to pick up on this topic in a bit. Uh, let's take a five minutes bio break and come right back. See you in a moment. <music> 